I'm sure you're sick of hearing the cliche, just be yourself. But, you know, is there any truth to that? Or should you try to, you know, fit into a little bit of a commercial mold if you want any sort of success in music? Well, I think you should 100% be yourself. And today's interview is talking about just that from an artist that embraced his unique influences in order to grow a lasting career. Let's discuss that. Welcome to Behind the Band, a podcast where we're all about helping you grow your music career by talking with awesome artists and people from the music industry. My name is David Ryan Olson. If we haven't met, I run Evergreen Records. We're a production company that's all about helping artists like you grow. We do studio production, mixing, but we do more than that. We do this podcast. We do a whole bunch of other things, all with the goal of helping you grow a solid career. So very excited to have Matt Carney on today's show. He's I'm hesitant to even call him a singer songwriter because he's just kind of so unique in his genre. He'll even say he plays with genre. It's a real great conversation telling just about how he got to start in the music industry, how he found his success, some of his process for songwriting, and also just, you know, his advice for if you want to have success in music, Here's some of the things you should maybe be thinking about. So excited to jump into that. But before we do, real quick, just wanted to say if you are going to be releasing new music in the future, I'd love to help you make the next release of your album or single the best of your life. So we have put together a half hour workshop called Rock the Release. It's all about helping you plan and promote your next uh, song or album for maximum success. So we're going to lay out the proven strategy that all the top artists that get tons of publicity use so that you can get on playlists and blogs and shared by influencers, all hoping to help get you more streams and start laying the foundation for a strong career. So if you want to sign up for Rock the Release, again, it's free. Just go to evergreenrecords.com slash workshop to sign up. But for now, without further ado, let's jump into the conversation with Matt Carney. Well, Matt, dude, thanks so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Yeah, how are you doing? I'm great, man. Uh, here in Nashville, weather is actually nice today. It's been raining a little bit, but um, yeah. Super glad that you're joining me today. Uh, would love just to kind of jump in and have you share your story. Yeah, I was born a small... No, sorry, that's a jerk <laughs> reference. Um, I, I was born in Eugene, Oregon, sixth generation... Oregonian. So my mother's family came over on the covered wagons, like Oregon Trail game. Literally, that was my family. Nice. And they settled somewhere up in around Portland area. And then my mom grew up in Medford, Oregon, was the first ever women, uh, female student body president of her high school. And my dad is from Rochester and they met barefoot on the beach. I started even before me. Look at that. I went all the way back to my parents. They, they met. <laughs> Dude, you're just go. going above and beyond. I, this is my great fourth, context. <laughs> my great, great grandfather. Um, they were married barefoot on the beach in Hawaii and uh, moved back to Cottage Grove, Oregon. And then I grew up in Eugene, Oregon. So go Ducks. And uh, yeah, South Eugene High School was a soccer player. Didn't really do music. Was... Um, an artist more love fine art. I have some painters in my family, my uncle who lives in uh, Lake Oswego, I forget, but um, he's a builder. He's a painter. Uh, my grandma was a painter. There was a lot of artists in my family. So I grew up doing sports and art really, and was always a good writer, always loved using 
words to kind of get through projects in high school. I, I, I could kind of fake my way through school by writing well. So if you, you kind of read like a third of the book, but then you wrote a really good paper, you know, you could get away with it <laughs> and uh, moved to college at Chico State to play soccer, actually. And my roommate had a guitar and I picked it up and taught myself a few chords and found it was actually a, too difficult to learn covers or whatever. You know, that was like, I didn't grow up in that era of YouTube covers. It was just, for me, that was just too challenging to learn other people's songs. So I just started writing my own songs. Felt that was easier. Just play a couple chords and say some stuff, you know? And um, at that time, my skill set was pretty limited. I was a kind of a skater, graffiti kid who grew up in Eugene and with a lot of hip hop influences, like 90s rap music and that kind of thing. And so I kind of had this like weird style of spoken word because I couldn't really sing. I was kind of learning how to sing, play a few chords, but people really responded to what I was doing. And uh, a friend of mine said, hey, if you help me drive to Nashville, we'll record some of your music. He was from uh, Lake Oswego High School. And we jumped in his truck, drove across the country, ended up in Nashville. It was supposed to be a month long trip. And I just fell in love with it, called home, said, hey, I'm dropping out of school. And you know, started making music and, um, worked at Starbucks, worked with kids, was a soccer coach and finally ended up making an independent record and, um, was in a car at Genghis grill. It's a place where you pick your toppings, you know, and they have a big stone. I don't know if this is still a thing. And you're like, I want some pineapple, I want some onions, some peppers, and they cook it up for you and put the sauce on and then put it in a bowl. So we were eating Genghis grill and there was this guy there that was a producer and he'd heard one of my songs. He's like, hey, aren't you an artist? I said, yeah, man. And we went out to my car and we listened to the record we were working on independently. And he said, I love this. And he sent it to a friend and they heard it. And um, I got signed to a record label and out of that. And, you know, the rest was kind of history. I released my first record, Nothing Left to Lose. And um, that was the beginning of how it got started, really. That's great. There you go. Very nice. <laughs> Have a great night. I'll see you later. Yeah. No. Thanks so much, guys. You can uh, you know check out more episodes on iTunes and Spotify. Uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, this trip to Nashville, you weren't planning on pursuing music at the time, or was this just purely a, you know, you're going for fun and it, the opportunity happened to arise? Uh, a little of both. I, mostly it was fun and the opportunity arrived, but, but, m- at the core, it was because all I wanted to do was make music. And at this, this was 2000, this was a, a minute ago, 2001, 2000. So kind of the the transformation where every kid had GarageBand on their laptop and could make, like could go to Splice and download some loops and like m- m- get, o- get up and running had not quite happened yet. You know, you had like Pro Tools, Digital Performer, you had some DAWs on people's laptop, but it wasn't like everyone was armed with their own studio. And my friend Robert was, was really talented. He's, he's the guy that I ended up making, you know, made the bulk of my good music with. Um, he was a master of it. And just, so that was, he was my way to make music. So really it was just like, this is all I want to do. I love doing this so much music. I was obsessed with it. I'd only been doing it for a couple of years, but man, if it was like, Hey, do you want to go to the mall or go watch a movie or, go out or write a song. It was always write a song. I just always wanted to do that. And he was my way to create music. So I was going to follow him anywhere he went. Nashville could have been anywhere. Could have been Cleveland, could have been 
you know, I was just like, oh, you're, you want to go somewhere? I'll help you drive. Because the promise was, is that we'll record some demos if we go. And so I was like, dude, I'll help you drive. And uh, yeah, that road trip is, I'm still on it, I guess. Yeah. So share a little bit about, you know, you, you get to Nashville, you, you cut these things. Walk us through like the first couple of years of being in Nashville after that. So one of the first things that helped me stay was people were really responding to some of the stuff I was doing. So, you know, it was maybe the first five or six songs I'd written, honestly. Really? But I, but, but the gimmick, honestly, I kind of had like a, not a gimmick, but like the fact that I was kind of doing spoken word stuff, like almost hip hop influence, but then it was very singer songwriter based at the time was not very normal and was maybe like, um, people didn't know what to think of that. They either hated it or loved it. So in some ways I kind of had like a little bit of a gimmick that got me in the door. Um, but then I could write really good stories and songs and my, weirdly, my limitations of learning how to sing in that era meant I had these like kind of simple, catchy melodies that a lot of people could respond to. Um, and then I was really like super vulnerable in what I would say. And so that combination really had some magic to it that I didn't even really know that just people were really responding to this and it was kind of right time, right place. And, you know, so like this artist named Toby Mac heard some demos and he's like, dude, he freaked out. And, um, there was some labels in town that heard some of the early stuff I did. And, uh, that was a really influential for me, giving me the ammo to stick around, you know, like, Hey, you know, you call your dad, you're like, dad, I'm dropping out of school. But this one guy may, you know, <laughs> they still hadn't heard of anybody I said, but still like the fact that someone that had sold some records was interested in what I was doing was enough to like get the blessing, you know, to stick around. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that you credit your uniqueness. I, I, I won't call it a gimmick. We'll call it uniqueness as an artist where you've kind of got the singer songwriter spoken word thing as, you know, a part of what kind of helped you launch your career. One of the things that I see a lot of indie artists kind of struggle with is, is understanding who they are yeah, and not necessarily being true to their influences. Was there any sort of, kind of internal struggle for you about you know m trying to merge well i feel like a singer songwriter at times but i've also got this hip-hop influence or was that always just kind of a natural blend for you i mean i think it I, I think it's it grew into more of a challenge later actually reconciling them at the time when you're starting out you just don't care you're just doing what you love and so for me i could easily switch between if anything my earlier recordings are really schizophrenic on some level like you listen to me like whoa this is like almost like a hip-hop song and then it would be like a total folk song and that was not common. Like that was not a common thing at that in 2000. That was Spotify hadn't happened yet. There was clear genres, you know, like you went and you got, you, you went to the record store and there was the rock section and then the hip hop section. And you actually, you had to kind of be culturally identify with that section. If you were rock, you had to kind of dress the part. If you were um, in the hip hop world, you had to kind of be from some sort of like credible, relatable world to the hip hop thing. You had to be like kind of from an urban center and like have some real roots or you were like, Oh, you're a poser or something. So, um, for me to do what I was doing was that when I say gimmick, I mean, it was like, I, I felt like I grew into learning how to write good songs and I feel like I was writing good songs, but you know, you, sometimes it's not bad to have that one kind of, I like the word gimmick for some reason, because it's like, 
this thing that maybe won't last forever, but it's definitely, there's a moment, like Macklemore's thrift shop song, you know, like that got him into the door, but it was definitely kind of gimmicky, this like comical, cultural observation, you know, it was, no one was really doing that thing of like pop music that was like hip hop, but then it was also funny, but he was actually pretty good at what he did. <laughs> or even like, you know, like uh, Kygo, when he came out, it was like the anti-EDM because he had like, pan flute drops which at the time was like almost funny you know to go to like this big build up and then come down to doo -doo 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 -doo. you know like people that was like people it was almost laughable but it, um so I think you know I really luckily had this kind of moment that was very much I was just that my influences were not normal and so yeah I think new artists finding that lane that feels like their own is really important and especially in the beginning to kind of identify yourself um, it is more challenging now because everyone there's there's a lot more competition than when I started. You know, there's so much music being put out, so it is a little tougher to find your lane. But I think it's incredibly important to not just imitate what you see ahead of you, but like do the thing that like some of those people that were breaking the mold were doing, where they're like putting a pan flute in for the drop, and like that wasn't cool at the time. You know, it was like. The pan flute wasn't cool. It was like big, epic Avicii, like... Detuned synths and... Yeah, like saw synths that were huge. And so to do something that's like filling in the void, that's the opposite is is like always... There's always a risk to that, but then there's always like this chasm that's been created by everyone moving towards one direction. So if you can kind of find your niche that isn't in the mainstream of things sometimes can work in your favor. These are the funniest references I've ever used. Kygo, Macklemore, <laughs> what else can we use? I, no, dude, they're great references, and I think they really illustrate the point. Uh, we could use some cooler ones, but anyways, you know what I mean. Even <laughs> even like the, the Claro thing, I don't know if you're familiar with her music, but she's like really like um, doing really indie music right now, I think is like, the you know, that's like the new Heim record where they're just recording full live drums that are like kind of recorded like program drums. It's just real, feels really like who's doing that. Like, I don't remember drums like these for a long, this is like a whole thing to have like a tonal snare. That's like, Goong! you know, when you like, boom, 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 like, that's not cool. That's like not been cool for a minute, but to do that and like embrace it is like, then it becomes their thing, I guess. I don't know. But I guess I'd like to point out that, these these quote unquote gimmicks aren't necessarily manufactured. They're not sitting around saying, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, totally." Ma'am, what what's what is something I could let, <laughs> let's spin the wheel of yeah. gimmick? You know, like, it's like no, these are all authentic to who these people are and their influences. And just like you know, for you, it was growing up in in the hip hop, yeah, yeah, totally. You know, seeing to a certain degree. It wasn't necessarily like, well, I want to be a singer songwriter, but you know, the world doesn't need another Bob Dylan, you know? And so like, I'm just going to yeah. artificially put some hip hop in. It was like, no, this is like acknowledging your influences. Totally. And, you know, writing about, um, like the point of view of writing about like the Northwest and some of those areas, you know, my, one of my, probably my biggest song ever, nothing left to lose, like to a kid from Oregon by way of California, like. I don't know how many pop songs have said Oregon in it. I was like actually trying to Google, has there ever been a pop song that says the state of Oregon? I, there was like one Wu-Tang Clan <laughs> song. It says Morgan from here to Oregon. He doesn't really pronounce it right. Um, but writing from a point of view of where you're from or like is super valuable. I remember when that Maggie Rogers first song Alaska came out 
like to kind of blend weird programmy glitchy sounds within this like wanderlust lyric of like Alaska and, and venturing out was felt so fresh and unique. And that was probably just, I'm, if I'm guessing those are the things she was into and those kind of, I feel like the, the, the young generation of people coming up right now are really good at that, of pulling, like making these stew, this like kind of creative stew that's their own, you know, Oh, I love like uh blondie, but I also love, um, some sort of weird fashion thing. And, and then I love this kind of music and just creating their own thing. That's like so common and pervasive right now. It's really beautiful. Well, it's great because, you know, Spotify has data on every listener yeah. and knows like, you know, well, let's serve this to you know, yeah. the people that, that check these boxes when, you know, that was never a thing back when you had no label gatekeepers. And, you know, like you said, the discrete sections at the store, you know, where yeah. it's like, here's the rock section. Here's the, here's the hip hop section. Yeah. I think a great book that kind of talks on this is steel, like an artist. I don't know if you've ever read that, but, um, I haven't. Yeah. It, it, it's a little picture book. So, you know, even someone like me can get through it. <laughs> um, but it, it, you know, it talks about just, you know, don't worry about being original, lean into your influences totally. And then you will be unique because you are the sum of your influences. I mean, there's a lot of great artists that, like Tom Petty talks about how he was just trying to imitate Bob Dylan growing up or, you know, yeah. Like you see that in everybody these days. I think that is a common thing. You, you can, Dan Wilson's one of the greatest songwriters alive. He write all of Adele's big songs and everyone he's, and he talks about like, it's good to have a goal. Like when you're writing a song, pick a song that you're shooting for. By the time you get there, you won't sound like it. And you will, you will have, you know, if you're starting out with a recipe and you're trying to make this cake, then you get to your pantry and, oh, you don't have that. So you use something you like. And eventually you make a cake that's your own. But if you set out to make this kind of song, and I think that's a really, I do do that a lot as I, I, I'll shoot for some sort of song, like sonically or like kind of the journey of what that song is, a place and then a, a desire. And you kind of like, take the map of that song and, and put your own life into it. I, I, I find that as an exercise, I do that a lot, especially when I don't, I don't have a lot of inspiration. Sometimes it's a great tool to get you off the ground and running. Well, can you share a little bit about how songs come to you? Do you, you know, sit down with an acoustic guitar? Do you, you know, work on a track? What, what's that kind of look like? Yeah. I mean, it's all over the place. Often, um, I have a few ways I get to it, uh, in different seasons of life of how I'm how I'm getting there. I think, you know, in Nashville, one of the things that I've, that I've learned that is a real common thing here is you, you set up co-writes. So the country music world and the Nashville kind of folk and bluegrass world and a lot of the world that formed a lot of some of the greatest songs that have ever been written. And one of the greatest songwriting communities, I would say that's existed in Nashville is they, they check, they set up times. They're like, you know, the great songwriters in town, every day of the week have something booked from 10 at 10 AM usually or 11 AM. And then they're usually done by they three to four is when they call it And every day they've got a schedule. And so they make time with friends or people that inspires them. And half the time people show up and they maybe just have a title or like a concept or nothing. And the discipline of doing that on a regular basis has been really transformative to me. Um, cause that was not something I did early on. 
And so part of, I get some songs through that. Like I, I, on in my catalog, there's a song called um, Memorized. I got that one from that. Different records are have different ways. You know, my, my I'm looking at my own records, trying to remember what how I did this. Um, a lot of my Crazy Talk record was written that way. That's my last record. Um, a lot of my City of Black and White record, I did that where I scheduled a lot of writers with, with kind of a lot of sessions with writers. That's one way I do it. Another way I do it is, is, is I'll make tracks or I will make visceral kind of, that's more like my hip hop influences. You start with this kind of like chord progression. There's a song called Ships in the Night that I had that did really well that we just had, we sat in the studio, I had some chords and my producer came up with this piano line, bling, 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 bling. And just, we're like, whoa, this is so good. And I had nothing I had. And then I think the next day I was like, man, I have this title called Ships in the Night. I don't really know what it's about. So there is that where you build this like visceral track and you write to it and like you get more like cadence driven stuff that you're playing off the rhythms and that's definitely more my hip hop influence stuff. And you can feel those kind of songs, you know, they're, um, you'll, there's only a, you'll write only a specific way when you've got a track you're writing to because you're not bound by like this rhythm on your guitar and you can play with rhythm a little more. Um, and then sometimes I'll pull out a guitar by myself and just chase down these, these kind of moments of inspiration that happens a lot too. And that some of my best stuff happens that way where you're, you just pull out your guitar and all of a sudden this like song unfolds and it get, it's given to you. Those are the moments I, I chase and crave and I'm addicted to trying to chase down are those songs that write themselves and they're so effortless and they come in half an hour, an hour, and they're just like the best songs you ever write usually, which is really frustrating actually. Cause you can't manufacture that. You can't just like, right. yeah, it's just so uh, between all of those is a lot of, and then a blend of those different m- things. Maybe I have, I, I, I got some vibe going on a guitar and then I bring it into a friend to help me finish it. Or sometimes I have this beat that I love and I can't figure out. And then I pull it up one night with, and I just, all of a sudden it all clicks and I write the whole thing. So I, I know a lot of artists they tend to prefer just, you know, I want to sit down with my guitar or my, my piano or whatever and hope that the song comes to me. Um, what do you do on, on days when you've scheduled time? You say, I'm going to, you know, work on writing a song. You know, you sit down and nothing's coming. <laughs> man, it happens so much. Uh, I mean, that's just the common, that's just the thing, man. It's like, you know, for every one song that makes an album... I wonder how many starts I have or, you know, I may not finish all of them if I just kind of don't, if there, if there's something you discover that's like intrinsically wrong with the song, or maybe there's a flaw in it, maybe like just there's something fundamentally wrong with like the direction or concept or rhythm or, you know, I'll usually I don't finish all of those, but oh, there's probably four to five, sometimes different records, 10 to one, you know, you've, you've, you've written 10 things to get one song that works. Maybe you take a piece of that song and bring it to another thing you like or later. That's just part of the deal. It's just, if you got to grind if you want songs. There's other times, other records. This record, I would say, my, my, my um, newest record. You, you, if you're scheduling times with songwriters, that happens more frequently. Where you don't have anything. Or you can, you know, you get to, a, I've gotten to a place where I've written enough songs over the years that you can write a song. Like, I can kind of write a song every day. You know, okay, let's write a verse. Then there's a pre- okay, then we're going to write a chorus or you, you kind of f- 
fall back on your, on your craft you've honed. But that doesn't mean it's great. It could just be like, okay, that was another song. It goes in my Dropbox and I never really listen to it again. There's a lot of those that happens. That's a kind of a co-writing thing. Uh, I have different seasons in my life. I've, I've wandered more, you know, I don't write as much. I just kind of wait for inspiration. And that what, that's kind of what I did on this new record. And that works too. I don't know. I just, I tend to, uh, try to find those moments of momentum where writing is easier and ride those waves. And I'm not as freaked out about when I can't, you know, you just may mean it, it may mean you need to listen a little more to people around you. It may mean that you need to, uh, get real with yourself or be vulnerable with yourself or, um, or just allow some time to pass to have something to say. What does that mean? Listen to people around you. Oh man, that's just, that's best lines I've ever gotten. were just stolen from someone's mouth. You just hear someone say something and you're like, that's, that's, that's real. You know, like, um, I remember my guitar player, I have a song called Closer to Love. And my guitar player one day was just saying like, man, when you have kids, one day you'll realize, man, you're just like, you're just waiting for one phone call to bring you, bring you to your knees or something like that. And I was like, that's, that's good. Yeah. As Drake says, that's a bar, you know, like <laughs> I, I was watching an interview and he did the same thing. He's a great writer. And, and he was listening to LeBron James say something. It was like some interview on HBO and, and LeBron said something and Drake and Drake goes, Oh, that's a bar. And he was right. Like what he had said was like, that's a lyric. And so I think, you know, that song became, I guess we're all one phone call from our knees, you know, like I, 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 I condensed it down and, made it fit in my song, but that's, that's just listening. Half of the best stuff is just listening to people around you and things they say. And whoa, that's amazing. I mean, if I could show you my phone, the notes I have in my, in my notes section of my iPhone, it's just, I'm always, my wife gets so annoyed. I'm always writing things down from shows I'm watching. You just kind of tune your ear to, to, to be aware of that revelation around you of these things that feel like lyrics or feel like a song concept or feel like um, a song title. I'm just, I'm always listening. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like that art imitates life. Yeah. And every poet's a thief, you know, it's true. It's like (laughs) you're stealing from the world you live in. And if it's good, you're stealing too. I mean, if it's good, you are to think you are the source, the source of all inspiration and, like it's pretty arrogant, you know, like Bob Dylan would even say every poet's a thief, like as in you're bar- you're borrowing from your circumstances, from the people around you. If it's any good, you're giving voice to something that's bigger than you, that maybe you, you stumble, you know, for me, I've always, the best stuff I've ever written had to do with giving voice to something that was a little bigger than me. You know, like I wrote the song about coming home that was for the ducks and this whole moment that became this whole thing that's been such a fun journey to go on was literally just me kind of trying to write. I'm stealing from this world. I'm like trying to give it voice. I, I am, it has nothing to do with me. I'm just literally borrowing the thunder of this whole culture and this place I'm from. And that's what makes really beautiful moments is that are, they're bigger than you. So yeah, you need to borrow those moments. Well, because even if most people in the world have no connection to Oregon, everybody can connect with, you know, the feeling of home and, you know, Music is, is, is a way to re- let people feel an experience that everyone has. Totally. In recent years, you've done a number of collaborations with other artists. I mean, you've done, you know, some songs with Ingrid. You've done... Um, R.I.C., Portland guy. 
Palou was one. He's a DJ that I did some stuff with. Um, I did some, I'm trying to think of collabs. I worked with an artist named Young Summer on my Just Kids record. Um, the last record was more of that collab thing. And that was that was just where I was at. I was really influenced by like kind of indie electronic music. So like RIC and this, really this kid named Falou, who I love, F-I-L-O-U-S. And he had this song with Jamie Hersey that I like was obsessed with. And so I really was going for this kind of thing of this like Paul Simon meets like like indie electronic music. And he was one of the guys that we just became good friends. And honestly, we started working on music together. And this guy named Afshin in LA, he, we wrote a ton of songs together. And that was like a weird, it was like kind of a concept record that um, was more than normal. This record, is, I don't, I'm not collaborating with anybody and I kind of wanted it to be that way. It was a little more of a return to my like singer songwriter roots. Um, and so, yeah, that's a different, I go through different seasons of that. What's it like collaborating with, with other artists where, you know, someone else's name is on it. It's not just a co-write, you know, but it's like, okay, we're doing this song together. I love it. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I don't do it as much as like a lot of artists. I mean, if you look at the top 50 on Spotify, probably every single song is a collaboration. So I think it's smart, like marketing wise and, and like, getting two audiences and both audiences get to experience the other audience of, so you're growing your fan base probably. So early on, I think it's an amazing thing to do um, to collaborate with whoever you can. And I think the cool thing about collaborating is it also lets you explore a little more. Like you don't have to totally own every single thing about what you're doing. If you're like featured, um, you can kind of like dabble without being like, this is my thing. Um, and that's kind of fun for me. I love playing with genre and playing with different worlds. Um, that's always been something that's been really interesting to me. You moved to Nashville at a time where you kind of had to be in one of the big cities to make music. Uh, like you said, uh, either Nashville, LA, New York, um, you know, obviously there were studios in, in, in a lot of cities, but just in terms of like where the industry was at then, now that we've seen a little bit of a shift um, I mean, like there are artists popping up from all corners of the world. Yeah. Um, why are you still in Nashville? <laughs> well, it's still, it's probably the second, I mean, I could be anywhere. I don't really care about I, most, we make most of the music on our, I make most of it with a small group of people that really we could do anywhere. And we made a bunch of it. We went out to the desert and wrote some songs and you could, I could live anywhere. I, Nashville's a great city to tour out of. Most of the U S population is, on the East coast, actually it's, you know, there's a huge part of the Midwest where there's not a lot of people and then you go forever. And then there's a bunch of people on the West coast, but it's not as many as you think other than California, you know, like you got a little strip down the coast. There's a lot of population. So Nashville's is a great place to tour out of because you can get to a lot of places um, overnight with a bus ride. So say you have a show in Philadelphia, you could leave at 10 o'clock at night, the night before in a bus and, wake up and you're almost there, you know, and then be home the next day after the show, you leave after the show, you're home the next day. So there is some of that. That's a real benefit to being in Nashville, but that's practically, I don't know, man. I, I, I married a beautiful, amazing girl from Nashville. We had a kid and now we have our second. Then my parents showed up and my brother showed up. And I had a moment of um, crisis maybe like 
three years ago where I looked at my wife, I said like, hey, yo, this was a road trip that like was supposed to be a month. <laughs> now you're in my life. My family moved here. Like I did not agree to die in, in the South. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> like I'm cool with it. Don't get me wrong. I love it here. But like this wasn't part of my long-term plan. I, I thought I was going to end up in like Bend or, you know, Marin County or something. Like that's where I thought I would, that's where this is all going, I thought. So um, she said, that's fine. We don't have to die here, but we're not moving yet. Um, so <laughs> I don't know, man. It's a beautiful town. It's it's a huge, It a lot of, it's absorbed a lot of the New York music scene, actually. So Nashville's growing rapidly, the music industry. Um, LA's still probably the biggest, obviously. But other than that, I would say Nashville's probably the second biggest these days. So yeah. it's not a bad place to be. That's like, you know, the eternal question uh, is like, do you move somewhere? Or, yeah. Or do I stay where I'm at? Which like, it's more feasible than ever to stay in your, your medium sized city these days. But like, you know, just kind of wanted to, to know what your read on, you know, being in a town like Nashville is. I mean, I, I, I love it. It's an amazing town. There's community available to people obviously COVID has been a weird kind of year for networking and like that kind of live it's a little more insular I think if you moved <laughs> this year you may not you're experiencing probably a different Nashville right but there is a there's a dynamic community here I think you know people ask me that question all the time because I made this move and it was a huge boon to my kind of career was being around people that could do stuff for me and, and throw gasoline on what I was doing. And I don't know how I feel today because I'm not as in touch maybe with local kind of small, the scene. I know that um, if you can build something where you are, that's valuable. I think, I think you have to kind of take into account what that looks like, you know, like people that are building things regionally, people pay attention to that. And, and I think, you know, the industry, so it's very data driven these days. So if there's a market where you're building something that people care about, I do think people pay attention to that. And there is something to say for being a big fish in a small pond that's getting traction and you're compelling people to do something. If But there's also something to say about being in a community where there's um, resources and gatekeepers, there's still gatekeepers out there that can sign you and agents and, and things that can help you get off the ground. But honestly, yeah, so much of what's what's driving things is what people are putting out and the and the the merit of that and how it's working within, yeah, the algorithms and all that and whether people are getting traction on it. I think most people getting signed or that world is is driven mostly by labels paying attention to what they're seeing on in data. It's kind of a cold machine driven thing right now, but it's been pretty merit driven too, because it's, there isn't as much gatekeepers don't have as much power as they used to. Right. Right. Well, and I know tons of independent artists who are, who are crushing it and they say, I can live anywhere. I can be my own manager. I can be my own label. Yeah. You may not ever be the next Katy Perry, but like, they're still building a business that they love and is working for them and they get to make music. And I think that's a win. Oh man, the biggest win. My last two records are my, f these are the first two independent records I've ever owned. You know, they've all been on major labels and there's so much I afford to being on a major label for the era I was, it built the platform I was on. It put me on radio stations across the country. There's a lot of benefits that I had, but I will say 
owning something a hundred percent that's ten times that's a tenth of the size of something you own ten percent of. I, I it's a lot more fun to own it. Actually, it's like a little more nerve wracking. But yeah, and I think that model of like the Katy Perry thing is kind of dead. Like, unless your labels have become so data driven that they're signing, they kind of need another prong to stand on. They're not just signing bands; they're signing YouTube stars or or actors, and they're 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 putting people that have a following already into the model of like, okay, put them with Max Martin or these big pop producers, and then we know if we put them out there, they're gonna have it, or they're they were in a boy band. Or they're, they're, they're not, they're not really, you know, or they're signing stuff that's already doing well. So like they become speculators where they're watching data. I remember when I was at Universal, they're like, well, there's this artist in New Zealand that's getting shazammed a ton and she's really crushing it in this local market and it becomes, you know, is Lord. So they sign her because they, they have a proof of concept. It's like, if you're, they become like, um, like ice cream shops, like, you know, Jenny's ice cream is a, there's one, I'm looking at it from my window. You can see it. And Jenny's ice cream. That's dangerous. Too. Yeah, it is dangerous. <laughs> Jenny started in Columbus, Ohio. They put out this, they built this ice cream store. It exploded. So they built another one in their town. And then they moved, they, okay, well, let's try it. So they went to Nashville. Oh, crazy. This proof of, proof of concept works. Now you put a Jenny's anywhere. It's just the concept works. And so labels have become more like that where they want some proof. They want to like a win and call in. Columbus, Ohio, before they're going to sink any money into it. So they're just watching data and Shazam numbers and, and, um, Spotify. So yeah, you're better off just doing your own thing and like building something than, and that's, it's either that way or you got to be a YouTube star. Those are the two major label routes. So you're better off just finding a way to build your own audience independently and make art you love that connects with people that you can touch and be directly related to or directly in communion with totally that's something i always try to encourage artists to do is you know be you don't don't necessarily try and shoot for the big label and even if you know your end goal is to get signed and to to be the next arena whatever you still need to you know have a have a business before anyone's going to sign you these days yeah just spamming your demo to the you know the execs isn't necessarily going to work these days as much as it did in the past if it ever did i can almost guarantee you it won't work these days i mean unless you're like a freakish if you are just the most exceptional voice you're some like homeless person that like can sing opera like josh groban or something that someone catches on tape and it goes viral sure if you're that guy then maybe you have a shot but no i don't think so i think you have to roll up your sleeves and like get dirty and try to build so, whatever you can, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or go to LA if you want to do the Katy Perry thing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, even then it's not just about getting your song or your voice in front of the right people. You still got to have some, you know, foundation to build. Gen- I think so. And I hope this isn't discouraging to people. I, I mean, someone could listen and be like, man, okay, so I can't do anything. And I, I, I just, I just don't know if that, that waiting for this kind of gatekeeper thing works anymore. So the question is, what do you do in order to start building that foundation? What is your advice for, for young artists? Well, I think there's a lot of different avenues. Like the, like the sync world is a big deal these days. So if you can create, um, you know, that's a way you can just start making an income doing it. If you can get a partner there, 
you know, a publisher is still valuable if someone is going to get you in the room, if you can find a publisher. But let's say it's it's a young artist that just wants to write songs, play shows, put out albums, all of that. Like, what would be your advice for kind of getting that ball rolling? I mean, I think you you have to make music that that's you and that connects with people. And I think that finding your voice that is unique and the story you have to tell that's your own thing um, is incredibly important and valuable. There's so many resources to creating content or trying to come up with interesting ideas or interesting visuals or some of the stuff that helps, you know, people get off the ground is like just being creative. And um, I think what's really cool right now I'm seeing in music in like the younger kind of indie world is just kind of like unexpected vibes. Like what's the new song that's like the most viral song on earth? It's like the one about driver's license, you know, or I drive, now I drive by your street or something like it's called driver's license. And, and it has this crazy form. It's kind of like a fix you Coldplay style where there's like the song builds forever. And then there's just this crazy halftime outro that no pop person would ever do, but it's so feels so good. And it's so visceral. I think some of those creative like arrangement ideas and like like in your actual songwriting choices and arrangements, being really disruptive is really important right now. And it's like people are really responding to that thing of kind of doing something like taking left turns, even like changing the tempo and like some of these things that um, I see a ton of that in the indie world, which I love. And I'm like, it's fun that music is getting, is really exciting right now. Like it's it's like, if you can break a rule, it's like, do it. And people seem to be responding to that. Just as we wrap up here, any other just advice that comes to your head for, for younger artists? Uh, I mean, I think learning the craft of songwriting and melodies and words and like will never be bad for you and will never like studying songwriting and like is such a massive gift that I've really set my life to exploring of like the greats, Paul Simons and the, you know, in our, our, of our generation, like the John Mayers or the um, James Taylors and the people that have just have written great songs that endured, endured like forever, you know, becoming a student of that and why they work. Like what are they starting before that? Like is, are, is the verse come after the one all the time? Like, you know, like you don't really know. And and ta na 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 and then the chorus picks up before the before the beat. So you don't want to wait for the time, of, and I don't want to turn the but like learning those little things, those devices that are a part of great songs, and being able to have this skill set. So when you do have something really compelling, you want to say you have like an understanding of these forms and things that have really worked is is a great thing to know. Also, so you can break those rules at times. You know, another thing that has been hugely beneficial to me is trying to learn a DAW, being in somewhat in control of your own production of music, like having a way to have a recording that you have somewhat in control with, or that's finding someone that really inspires you, that's really, that, that you can collaborate with on a regular basis so you can be in control of when and where you can create music um, is really valuable staying out of debt on some level is really valuable to a young artist. So if you can 
And if you're in student loans, that's not us shaming if you already do. And like figure out a way to, to not have to make decisions based on your monthly. Like if you need to pick up and move somewhere, if you are, if you're living within your means in a way that you have freedom to chase down certain dreams was super valuable to me. Um, I had resources and privilege being from Eugene, Oregon, and also that helped me do that. But, you know, I, I see a lot of people who was like, ah, oh, like I made these choices. So now I have to work this job, which takes away from this thing. Oh, they want to go on tour. I can't do that. I got to do this. I got to work the thing. Like I think having some freedom to chase down your artistic decisions is incredibly valuable early on. I remember sleeping on a friend's couch to go on tour and like sell the CDs out of a minivan, you know, and I was able to do it. And I mean, I mean, we sold like, you know, 50 CDs at $10 and it was like dope. Like I can got 500 bucks this week. <laughs> this is awesome. So I, I think some of those um, maintaining some, some freedom so you can make, you can chase creative decisions, not just financial decisions is incredibly valuable. Well, Matt, thanks so much for talking with us today. Super appreciate it. Hey, man, appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. So that is it for this episode of Behind the Band. Big thanks to Matt Carney for joining us. Again, real quick before you go, a couple of quick favors. First, if you are working on music and you want to learn the proven strategy for promoting your upcoming release, sign up for our free half-hour workshop called Rock the Release. Just go to evergreenrecords.com slash workshop also if you're listening on apple podcasts please go ahead just leave us a quick review down below really helps the show rank higher and then more people find the show so that we can help more people grow their careers but for now that's it and we will see you next time